For as long as there has been cinema, there has been documentary. Even longer. I'd even make the argument that in 1877, when Edward Moybridge took a bunch of sequential photographs of moving horses and then animated them using a device known as a zoopraxoscope, which is a very early device for displaying motion pictures that could be described as the very first movie projector. Anyway, I'd argue that Moybridge was making one of the first ever documentaries. Or there was the famous film called Arrival of a Train at La Ciotat, made by the Lumiere brothers after they invented the first movie camera, the film that captured a train pulling up to a station. You've heard the story about audiences running out of the theatre. They thought that the train was going to come out of the screen and hit them. What was that film, if not a documentary? Perhaps we need a definition of documentary. What makes a documentary a documentary? Here's how Sheila Curran Bernard, the author of Documentary Storytelling, describes the medium. Documentaries bring viewers into new worlds and experiences through the presentation of factual information about real people, places and events, generally but not always portrayed through the use of actual images and artefacts. But factuality alone does not define documentary films. It's what the filmmaker does with those factual elements, weaving them into an overall narrative that strives to be as compelling as it is truthful and is often greater than the sum of its parts. Factual information about real people, places and events. That train at La Ciotat that the Lumiere brothers filmed wasn't a fake train put on a constructed set by the Lumiere brothers just for the sake of their film. It really was pulling into La Ciotat. That film may not be the most ideal example of a documentary, but it's still a documentary. And when you're dealing with something like cinema, you could argue that there are no ideal examples of any of its forms. Now I think that if there's one certainty in categorising art, and we've talked about this before, is that there are no certainties. There are always exceptions. But I think, for the purpose of this episode, that Sheila Curran Bernard's definition is pretty good. If someone who knew nothing about film asked me what a documentary was, I'd probably try to tell them something along the same lines. Now, Bernard's definition also mentions the idea of truth in documentary filmmaking. That's a big one. And ever since there has been documentary, filmmakers have grappled with the challenge of how to present truth on film. And that's just about where something they call cinema verite comes into play. Now the problem with truth in cinema is that there is no unambiguous truth. Truth is always subjective in film, never objective. That's because every film is mediated by the filmmakers. The fundamental process of filmmaking involves the manipulation of truth. People behind the cameras are making decisions of where to point the camera, where to cut, what action to follow. That's the reality of any film. Filmmakers, documentarians included, impose their own outlook on a film regardless of how pure their intentions might be. It's impossible to avoid. Cinema Verite was a reaction to this unavoidable dilemma. You could also argue in some ways that Cinema Verite is a failed movement. The origins of Cinema Verite are hazy and broad. It was born in the late 1950s and the early 1960s, developing in multiple countries separately and almost simultaneously as a response to documentary conventions up to that point. 
The term cinema verite was coined by Georges Sadoul, and you'll have to forgive my pronunciation, in France when Sadoul translated the work of the Soviet film pioneer Tsigar Fyatov. Fyatov was an important figure of the Soviet montage movement, and a lot of Fyatov's work was the precursor to the cinema verite movement. In a nutshell, the cinema verite movement was about capturing life as it was, and it was about finding truth in the moving images that were captured. And in fact, verite just means truth in French. Now, like I mentioned, the verite filmmakers wanted to react against the approach to non-fiction filmmaking up until that point. They wanted to encourage a more direct engagement between the filmmaker and the subject. No more talking head interviews, no more dry narration. Think about those newsreels you see people watching in the cinemas in movies set during World War II, and you'll have a vague idea what Verite was trying to usurp, what it was trying to react against. It was about moving away from a heavily constructed documentary style to a more exploratory style of documentary. Filmmaker Peter Winternick, who actually made a documentary about cinema Verite, said... The cinema verite revolution opened a window onto real life and real issues. It freed the documentary from stilted, staged shots. And luckily, the technology of the time was becoming able to match the ambitions of the filmmakers. Lighter 16mm cameras and portable sound equipment meant that documentarians were the most mobile they had ever been. It was the first time that roaming filmmakers were able to record synchronised sound. The freedom that the equipment allowed also allowed for a lot more spontaneity on location and allowed the filmmakers to establish a greater sense of intimacy with the subjects. Lengthy setups and large crews were a thing of the past for cinema verite filmmakers. Here's a summary of the cinema verite style from the Columbia Film Language Glossary that is better than anything I could come up with. Also referred to as free cinema or direct cinema, cinema verite is a French term that means true cinema or cinema truth. It is a style of filmmaking in documentaries which consists of long takes and minimal directing or editing and is often made with no actors and a spare film crew with a small amount of equipment. Other elements typically identified with cinema verite a portable sound equipment, the handheld camera, and impromptu interview techniques. Cinema Verite emerged in France alongside another famous movement in film, the French New Wave. The two are absolutely associated. Verite was a documentary correlate to the French New Wave. The energy and the freedom of experimentation that the French New Wave is probably what propelled Cinema Verite to the fore of documentary filmmaking. Filmmakers like Chris Marquet and Jean Rauch were important figures in developing cinema verite in France. In the US, it was called direct cinema, and was led by filmmakers like D.A. Pennybaker and Richard Leacock. In Britain, it was called free cinema, and people like Lindsay Anderson were important in its cultivation. Now, there are crucial differences between the approaches of cinema verite, free cinema, and direct cinema. In Cinema Verite, the filmmaker can participate in front of the camera and they're allowed to make artistic choices. In direct cinema, the filmmaker is not allowed to be a participant, assuming a more of a fly-on-the-wall type role. In Salesman, the 1969 documentary by American brothers Albert and David Maisels, the brothers remain absolutely invisible to the audience throughout their film. By contrast, French filmmakers Jean Rauch and Edgar Morin and you'll have to excuse my pronunciation, 
but in Roush and Marin's documentary Chronicle of a Summer, they actively participate in the on-screen events, acting as interviewers to the subjects and often directing the exchanges of ideas that occur throughout that film. In Marin's own words, The authors themselves mingle with the characters. There is not a moat on either side of the camera, but a free circulation and exchange. And here's something that documentarian Robert Drew, who was part of the direct cinema movement, once said, which might help highlight the differences. I had made Primary and a few other films. Then I went to France with Leacock for a conference I was surprised to see the Cinema Verite filmmakers accosting people on the street with a microphone. My goal was to capture real life without intruding. Between us, there was a contradiction. It made no sense. They had a cameraman, a sound man, and about six more. A total of eight men creeping through the scenes. It was a little like the Marx Brothers. My idea was to have one or two people, unobtrusive, capturing the moment. So direct cinema could be viewed as slightly more observational than its French counterpart. But either way, the concept of truth is a problem for both examples, and for free cinema in Britain. In Chronicle of a Summer, attention is drawn to the filmmakers, and as we've established, filmmaking is inherently riddled with deception. But in Salesman, the subjects act like the cameras aren't even there. Or at least, we never really see the subjects reacting to the camera, or questioning its presence. Isn't that as much of a lie as filmmaking ever is? And this highlights a fundamental problem of the pursuit of truth for cinema verite, which I'm now going to brazenly use as a general blanket term for all these movements. An entire episode could and may still be dedicated to the differences between the movements, which range from slight to major, but for now let's focus on the similarities and let's focus on cinema verite. These films rely on the assumption that the presence of a camera does not substantially alter the recorded event. When was the last time you had a camera on you? A video camera or just a still camera? Did you act like you would usually act? How you'd behave when there are no cameras around? It's hardly a revelation in psychology to suggest that being observed can have a dramatic influence on our behaviour. What if you're being observed by a camera, which preserves an observation indefinitely? The natural effect that a camera has on people who know that they're being filmed actually contributed to the more participatory nature of verite over direct cinema. Cinema Verite acknowledges the camera and the filmmakers because without that acknowledgement, the legitimacy of the pursuit of truth becomes less legitimate. It's, in a sense, an homage to the work of Ziga Veritov, the Russian filmmaker who had coined the term Kino Pravda, meaning also the truth of cinema. In both cases, they're meaning not that the film is showing us the truth, but the film provokes its own kind of truth, that that within the film we see a kind of truth emerging. But the truth of cinema verite might have more to do with the filmmaker's intentions than anything that's actually happening on the screen. The purpose is to represent truth as objectively as possible in the manner in which the filmmakers understand objectivity. It's also about the filmmakers' intentions in regards to their subjects. Pierre Perrault, in his 1963 film, Pour la Suite de Monde, follows old people who are fishing for whales. And there is whale fishing in the film, but Pour la Suite de Monde is not a procedural documentary about the process of whale fishing. It's about, among other things, memories and ancestry. So perhaps that's the line of truth that Perrault was pursuing, not whale fishing. In defence of the truth in Cinema Verite, it having attracted many critics due to its hazy nature, Dan Krauss once said, 
No documentary can ever show you the truth because there are multiple truths. But Verite can at least relay the truth as seen by a single observer. But Cinema Verite is essentially flawed, perhaps in some parts because it involves the pursuit of truth in a fundamentally deceptive medium, and perhaps in some parts because the essence of what defines Cinema Verite, along with its relationship to direct cinema and free cinema, remain disagreed upon by even the filmmakers whose films are designated inclusions into the Cinema Verite form. But the movement also bred a whole new style of documentary. The techniques that were pioneered by the Cinema Verite, direct cinema and free cinema filmmakers are still applied today. And Cinema Verite became a term applied in English film theory to a wide umbrella of things. From a school of thought to a technical style. You're probably more aware of that style than you think, and we can see the influence of Verite everywhere. Think about non-fiction shows like Cops, or even fictional shows like The Office. Here's another quote from Peter Winternick. Today, we see the influence of Verite in everything from music videos to feature films to TV news. Yet, these things are not Verite films. The key difference, I think, is that today's contemporary image industry is almost wholly devoid of thoughtful content. It is pure image, even or maybe especially the news, without the sense of social self and social responsibility that Verite filmmakers brought to their work. So cinema verite is a style of filmmaking, and it's also a method of thinking in relation to documentary filmmaking. It came about partially in response to technical advances, partially in reaction to the heavily constructed nature of documentaries up until that point, and partially because of the revolutionary movements that were happening at the time in other aspects of cinema. And like I said earlier, cinema verite is a failed movement in many ways, because it's all about truth in an untruthful medium, If the difference between cinema verite, direct cinema and free cinema are still eluding you, I wouldn't worry too much. What constitutes each one differs depending on who you talk to. Some film theorists think that cinema verite is different to direct cinema and free cinema. Others think that they all exist under the broad umbrella of cinema verite. Most modern documentaries differ in style from the raw cinema verite documentaries. Interviews are often set... There can be narration, cinematography, and special effects can be sophisticated. Roger Moore's Roger and Me is a handy example of the move from the freer, more observant style of verite towards a documentary style with more directorial control. Some critics argue that modern documentaries lack the truth elements. Others argue that verite lacked them too. Whatever you believe, truth is an uphill battle for any form of film. John Roebuck's Film School is brought to you by realgood.com.au. There are other episodes of this podcast. Check them out at Real Good or subscribe on the iTunes store.